In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As you can probably tell by now, Pentecost is not your typical Sunday. True to its origins, as recounted in the second chapter of Acts, there's always a lot going on. That's because the Holy Spirit has always been multifaceted, hard to define, yet hard to deny. It's symbolized by wind and flame and dove. It creates and comforts. It guides and guards. It gives us strength and courage as well as wisdom and understanding. That's a lot of ground to cover. And just for good measure, we've thrown in baptism, some baked goods, and a whole lot of rent. <laughs> this holy excitement is befitting of a day known as the birthday of the church, but Pentecost also brings something else. Something a little quieter, something I pray does not get lost in all this holy commotion, because I think it is perhaps the Spirit's most essential gift, at least for us, right now, hope. When the Spirit shows up for the disciples, it is inherently future-oriented. It inspires in them a holy imagination for how the world could be, and then gives them the strength to try to make it so. It's not just about what is happening in the moment of its arrival, it's about what new thing the Holy Spirit is calling into being, what new reality it is initiating. It is all about, as our reading says, what is to come. And what was to come from that day was the church, communities of Christians living and loving and praying and serving by the grace of some power that they would be the first to admit came from beyond themselves and called them beyond themselves into the world. The Holy Spirit can be an amorphous aspect of our Trinitarian God, but anytime you find yourself with dreams, with visions for the future, with hope, that is the Holy Spirit at work in you and in your life. I've been thinking a lot about hope lately, probably because it feels so hard to come by right now. Weekly, almost daily, it seems, outbursts of mass violence across the country using weapons whose sole purpose is to cause maximum destruction and death. A merciless war with no clear end in sight. Water that keeps rising along with the temperature. A viral epidemic that just won't quit, shadowed by an epidemic of loneliness and anger and despair. And meanwhile, a shameful inability to muster enough collective will to do anything of much consequence about any of these problems. With such hopelessness all around, it's only natural to wonder where then is hope to be found? Where are we to locate the hope that Pentecost promises hope for any sort of future, let alone a future that is better and brighter than our perilous present reality? 
Well, whenever I find myself tipping more towards hopelessness than hopefulness, there is always one thing that never fails to save me. Children. Children, my children, certainly, but all children, really, because children embody hope. They are all about the future, and in that way, they are harbingers of the Holy Spirit. St. Paul knew this. He writes in our passage from Romans today that one of the primary gifts of the Holy Spirit is to turn us back into children. The children of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are children of God. He writes, we have received the spirit of adoption. And we cry out in that spirit, Abba, which is Aramaic for, for Daddy. He continues, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The spirit returns us to that state of pure hopefulness, that, that of a child calling out for a parent and welcomes us into a family, the family of God, to feel loved and cared for and guided and hopeful. Children don't need to return to that state of hopefulness. They live it every day. They are so absorbed in what is possible, so full of the holy imagination for what could be that they call us out of our present circumstances. They pull our gaze up from the ground to the horizon and beg us to journey there with them because there might just be something beautiful or exciting up ahead. I can still remember, like it was yesterday, when I would stand there rocking my voice to sleep in my arms, being met by this overwhelming feeling of hope for them and for their future. They were just little bundles of possibility. And I remember asking them, who are you going to be? What are you going to do? The future lay open before them, wide as the sea, inviting them to a life of possibility and promise. And in that moment, I felt an expansiveness of hope that I will never forget. I realize this may sound trite or cliche, the children are our future, right? But cliches are cliches because they're true. The fact that we even have children is an act of faith in the future, a symbol of our hopefulness for the continuation and improvement of existence. In return for this great gift of hopefulness that children give us, we, adults, are tasked with but one thing. To provide for their well-being. One of the primary ways that we show our hope and practice it as individuals and as a society is how we protect, support, and love our children. When we fail in that responsibility, 
Not only do they suffer tragically, but we are also robbed of the very thing that gives us hope for the future. It's a double catastrophe. And right now we are failing our children. The particular tragedies of Uvalde or the 27 other school shootings that have taken place so far this year are acute and awful examples of this failure, but so are the increasing reports of deaths of despair among our young people, so are the failing schools and ignored neighborhoods, so is the desperately uneven distribution of opportunity and resource that we give them. This is not just psychologically or sociologically damaging, it is spiritually inexcusable. By allowing such buds of possibility to be mowed down, or by allowing them to languish, we are destroying the very spirit that not only gives them life, but gives us hope. Such a reality is nothing less than the desecration of the Holy Spirit. For if it is true that a society's hopefulness can be measured in how it treats, protects, supports, and loves its children, then a society that sacrifices their children for their own rights or power has no hope. They are prisoners of the present. They are slaves of the self. And nothing could be more antithetical to the life and witness of Jesus Christ or to the movement of the Holy Spirit. That's why today, we have surrounded ourselves with children. We have our choristers singing, we had a young voice reading a young people's translation of our scriptures, and in a few moments we'll be welcoming in our members of our children's chapel to come and watch the baptism of little Nora. Nora was born in the middle of a global pandemic and will inherit from us a world whose future is cloudy at best. But my goodness, you should see her smile. When I met with her parents, Adam and Maddie, she was nothing but light and laughter and love. She knows only joy and delight and hope. And so, even though we grown-ups are going to be the ones that are praying that she receives the Holy Spirit on this, her baptism day, I think we've got that backwards. We should be praying that we receive the very spirit that she is already bursting with. A spirit that cannot be but hopeful. What better way could there be to celebrate and mark the day of Pentecost than by steeping in such hopeful energy? There is no better balm for our broken hearts. There is no better way to heal our hopelessness. And so in return for the gift of their presence here with us today, I hope that we will pledge ourselves anew to the protection and nurture of these harbingers of hope, these bundles of possibility. And not just these children, but all children. If the winds of hope are really going to blow through our world on this day, and enliven our hearts with visions and dreams for the Holy Spirit and for the future, if we are really going to be people of hope, 
There could be no holier work for us to do. My friends, may the Spirit give us not only the will to do it, but the courage to accomplish it. For their sake and for our own. Amen.